Welcome to the Lovable Podcast. I'm Kelly Flanagan, clinical psychologist and author of Lovable, embracing what is truest about you so you can truly embrace your life. In this podcast, I'm walking with you each week for one year through Lovable's companion book, the year of listening, loving, and living. This companion book is currently available nowhere else, so I hope you'll join us on this journey as together we recognize, reveal, and resurrect your truest, worthiest, most lovable self. Can't shake these lies, they keep running around in my head. But what if I saw me the way that you see me? What if I believed it was true? What if I traded this shame and self hatred for a chance at belief? Welcome everyone to the 28th episode of The Lovable Podcast. This week we are focused on the single most essential building block of true belonging and the five most common reasons we fail to use it. Before we get into this week's episode though, a couple of quick announcements. Um, This week I'm going to be wrapping up my spring speaking schedule. I'll be speaking only sparingly over the summer, Um, but if you want to get on my schedule for the fall, you can go to drkellyflanagan.com backslash speaking and contact me through that page. I'd love to come speak to your group or your organization, uh, so I will look forward to hearing from you. Also, make sure you've got a copy of my free ebook about marriage. It explores how our consumer culture has infiltrated our ideas about marriage, convincing us that marriage is supposed to do something for us. And it talks about how we can reclaim marriage as an event that does something beautiful to us. So get your free copy, go to my website, drkellyflanagan.com. Again, that's drkellyflanagan.com and sign up in the right sidebar. Your introductory email uh, will uh, include a link to the free ebook and a link to a free sample of Lovable. And then after that, each week, you'll get one email on Wednesday mornings with a link to this podcast and to my every other week blog post. So go check that out. And of course, if you want more than just a sample of Lovable, you can go to lovablethebook.com. That's lovablethebook.com to find out all about it. Lovable is available everywhere in paperback, digital, and audio. And get it wherever books are sold, so go pick up your copy at your favorite place to, to buy books. All right, onward. We had a great discussion this week on Facebook Live about empathy, the essential building block of true belonging. Here it is. I hope it brings you comfort and clarity. Hello, Facebook Live. Welcome to week 27 of the Year of Listening, Loving, and Living, which is entitled The Essential Building Block of Belonging. We've made a transition in these months of loving from narrowing our circles of belonging to deepening them. And today we're going to focus on one ingredient that can deepen them the most effectively. Let's check in first though. Um, As we are in the middle of these months of loving, what is most challenging to you right now as you seek to cultivate belonging in your life? Uh, Or what are you celebrating? Uh, And of course, you can feel free to share anything in between. So as you consider what you know you want to share, I thought I'd share an experience of belonging from this week um, that I had. So last uh, Friday was my wife's birthday. Saturday, um, we invited a bunch of her girlfriends to join her for dinner, and um, husbands were invited to join me across the street at a different restaurant and hang out. And uh, so there was about, you know, I guess there's, um, including me, there's about four four guys who ended up hanging out and uh, on several occasions in the course of the conversation which played out over uh, over a couple hours before the wives rejoined us um, we discovered 
places in the conversation where we uh, disagreed, where two of us felt one way about something, two of us felt another or, or whatever. Um, and yeah, and, and there was honesty about that. There was sincerity about that. Um, there was acknowledgement of the differences. There wasn't an effort to try to convince the other side, but simply to share one's perspective and why one felt the, the way that they did. Um, and in the midst of all that, there was still a deep respect for the being of, of each other. Not the, uh, not necessarily a focus on the opinion and changing that, but a respect for who the, the other person was. Um, and to me, that is the, um, that is, that is belonging as good as it gets, where people can have differences of opinion, differences of ideas, um, but the personhood of each person is respected in that space. Um, belonging, where everyone agrees, that's, that's cool. Um, but belonging where people can disagree and still belong, um, that is so deeply trustworthy. And, uh, and so to me, it was a blessing. So my wife uh, got her birthday presents across the street and I felt like I got a gift on my side of the street. So I wanted to share that just as an example of, to me, one of those really important qualities about belonging. But again, would love to hear what you have to say. Carrie Lynn writes in, in response to um, my, my sharing, that is the best you can get. Iron sharpens iron. We don't have to agree, just honor one another. Yeah, to me, and that's a good word, Carrie Lynn, honor. Um, to me, that's, that's, uh, um, that's essential in places of true belonging, is that the, the personhood of the other is honored um, in spite of differences of opinions and ideas. So um, thanks for that word, honor. Stephanie writes, I find that really interesting, Kelly, the conversation you were able to have with the guys when you disagreed. I find that hard with some people. In particular, my family, mom, dad, sister, where beliefs are different. I find defensiveness comes up a lot. Is that pride or fear? Stephanie, that's a great question, and my answer is yes and yes. Um, you know, I think that um, pride and fear are both sides of the same false self ego coin, you know? Um, we talk about the, the ego castle, the protective part of us um, in charge of protecting our true self has walls that are based in fear and hiding, um, has ego, the cannons that are based on um, anger and aggression, and then it has an ego throne, which is based upon pride and, and elevation. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think that that's, that is what happens when there's a spirit of protection um, within a conversation, a, a sense of my worth and my value may not, um, may not be sustained in this place if I um, if I don't agree with what everyone else is saying, um, that's a very unsafe place to be. And oftentimes, unfortunately, it happens in our families, um, where for whatever reason, the family narrative is we all have to agree. We all have to be on the same page. Um, it creates a deep sense of doubt about our worthiness if we disagree. Um, and so it's just not safe. And so we, our, our, our ego, our protective false self comes out and sort of, um, advocates for us because um, our true self is, is tucked away and, and protected. Deb F. writes, it is truly such a gift when you can relax and speak your mind knowing that those you are with will take what they need or can use from the conversation and let the rest go. Yeah, there's, it, it's like, it's like you become real for the first time, Deb. It's like the reality of you exists apart from all your particular ideas and opinions and theories and I, you know, and thoughts about a, any given subject, and you, you are the reality. 
not your thinking, not your ideas. And that, again, that, that reality is honored. Um, and we can rest in this, in this sense that, wow, the reality of who I am matters more here than my ideas. Um, that's a pretty powerful experience. Julia writes, willingness to replace certainty with curiosity sometimes can be suggested in a conversation, helps to keep a playful attitude. And when others' offensiveness gets under your skin, that can be a challenge too. Yeah, you, you, it's a great point, right? Like if, if, you, if you're entering into any, any conversation or any situation where you have to remain certain, where it has to be more about proving my way of thinking than being curious about the other's way of thinking, um, then it's really hard to cultivate that sense of safety and that sense of belonging. Um, and, and, and you're right, defensiveness begets defensiveness, right? Your defensiveness gets under my skin, I start to feel less safe, I get more defensive or I get more aggressive, and that sort of thing escalates and our true selves get buried deeper and deeper underneath the protection. So, um, so yeah, that spirit of curiosity in any place of belonging can be really disarming to the ego, um, can sort of de-escalate any, any escalation of, um, of false selves that are happening. Stephanie adds, Julie, that's such a good point. Curiosity helps to keep judgment out. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Are they mutually exclusive? Can you experience curiosity and judgment at the same time? I don't think so. There, there are certain emotions you can't experience at the same time. You can't experience fear and anger at the same time. You can quickly vacillate between the two, um, but they're, they're, they're mutually exclusive. Fear says, I wanna run and hide. Anger says, I wanna attack and, and go after. You can't do both at the same time. Um, I think curiosity and judgment are the same thing. Curi curiosity Im imbues the other with a sense of respect um, and a sense of reverence for who they are, whereas judgment is the exact opposite. Um, it uh, is a disrespect, it's a creating of a hierarchy and a lowering of the other. They can't exist together. Curiosity prevents judgment. I love it. Carrie Lynn writes, walls have held the line of sanity while I learned healthy boundaries. Yep. Now I'm in the process of reconnecting with select friends, loved ones, asking for forgiveness for damage that was done by the walls and presenting a new me with healthy boundaries, working hard to earn trust as a gentler, more open, more empathic community member. It takes time. I am so content with this process as so much has changed in just a few years. Wow. Folks, if you are listening to this podcast, go back, hit the 15 second rewind and, and listen again to what I just read um, that Carrie Lynn wrote. To me, this is this encapsulation in such a, a, a well-articulated way, this process of growth, that we, at some point in our lives, all of us develop an ego, a false self, a protective, a protective version of us, um, and that we needed it um, and that while we were learning how to have healthy boundaries, we needed to have this, this other shortcut to boundaries. And, uh, but then eventually we discover better, healthier ways to have boundaries than the ego provides us with. And so to have this, this bridge where we then go to our people, select people and say, I'm sorry about what I did. I'm sorry about all the, the unhealthy, hurtful ways that I was setting boundaries. I'm going to be trying to do it this way now. Um, and then to go out and, and practice that and be vulnerable in setting boundaries like that, that is gorgeous. Um, thank you for that, Carrie Lynn. I hope that everyone really takes that in. Julie writes, on belonging, in the last couple weeks I've received a couple of compliments and remarks of endearingness and acceptance based on the very same qualities that others tend to reject or find frustrating or threatening. I'm finding that challenging in difficult and good ways. Oh, that's so good. 
And you know, Julie, next week we're actually going to be focusing on um, building belonging by receiving compliments. So you're you're a week ahead of us in that in that idea, but you're getting at something really important that um, this idea that others' reactions to us, and we talked about this a little bit earlier in, in an earlier episode of the podcast, others' reactions to us um, oftentimes reflect more about them than about us. We demonstrate the very same quality, the very same behavior to person A and person B. Person A delights in it, and person B rejects it and criticizes it and judges it. Now, what does that tell us? We did the same thing. <laughs> um, it might tell us it might tell us that 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 behavior, whatever we did, that quality of ours, um, is more well received by some than by others, and maybe the people who receive it well are the people that we that we might belong to. Um, to me, again, I appreciate that because it epitomizes one important step in this process of, of belonging, which is revealing who we are and seeing who celebrates it. And and those who celebrate it are the people we want to focus on building belonging with. They may not always agree with us, but they celebrate who we are. All right, so let's uh, let's continue this discussion um, by transitioning into this week's reading from the companion book. Um, it's week 27 of the year of listening, loving, and living, and the title is The Essential Building Block of Belonging. Here we go. Dusk is descending when I arrive home from work and walk in the back door. Some nights all is well when I get home. My wife is happy and the kids are smiling. But some nights my wife is tired and worn thin after a long day at work and the onslaught of demands for food and attention. Some nights Aiden is cloaked in the sullenness of adolescence. Some nights Quinn is distraught about the inevitable injustices of a middle child. Some nights my daughter will settle for nothing less than a daddy mirror, a father who will show his interest by reflecting all her energy and joy. Some nights everyone wants a little empathy and some nights I don't want to give it. Some nights I get home and I want someone to notice how tired I am, to soothe my anxiety, to correct the injustices done to me, and to mirror me. I could embrace my fatigue, fear, anger, and neediness as common emotional ground, and I could reach out and connect in the midst of that shared experience, but some nights I don't, because even for psychologists, empathizing with the people we belong to is hard to do, for at least five reasons. Number one, I don't want to go first. In any relationship, both members need to be the recipient of empathy. But at any given moment, empathy is unidirectional. It can only flow in one direction at a time, which means someone has to go first. Someone has to be willing to meet the needs of the other before their own needs are met. Number two, I don't agree with you. Empathy requires us to place ourselves in another person's shoes, to allow our hearts to beat to the rhythm of theirs. We often fundamentally disagree with their perspective, and so we are tempted to debate them intellectually rather than join them emotionally. Empathy is putting connection before correction. And I think maybe that's, that, that's the piece that I was describing happening to me um, at that restaurant on Saturday night, the sense of um, not putting debate, intellectual debate, ahead of emotional joining. So, um, Number three, what if I get it wrong? When we try to place ourselves squarely inside of someone else's emotional landscape, it can be a little scary. It's unfamiliar territory. They're inviting us in, but what if we get it all wrong? Empathy can be terrifying if we have any perfectionism within us, because empathy is messy. Empathy is being brave for the sake of belonging. Number four, I don't want to feel that. On the other hand, you might know exactly what someone else is feeling. It may bring up thoughts and feelings in you that you would prefer to avoid. Empathy is the willingness to wear someone else's shoes. 
It's not just understanding what another person feels, it's actually feeling it. This is courageous because to feel someone else's pain and fear and frustration, you have to first be willing to feel your own. Empathy is hearing someone else's story, finding a reference point in your own story, and then making the emotional landscape you see there the common ground upon which you can both stand. Number five, it's not my job to fix you. We confuse empathy with fixing. We think we have to do something to take the emotion away, and we don't want to be put on that hot seat. Or some of us will have the opposite reaction, I'm going to fix you. But this undermines our ability to provide empathy as well, because empathy is not fixing, empathy is joining. If we want to give empathy in our relationships, we will have to sacrifice some values we hold dear. We will have to be willing to lose because it will feel like losing. Our people's needs are being met before our own, and our ego doesn't like that. Yet when our egos lose, our hearts win. We will have to put aside all of our intellectual debates. Empathy is not a matter of deciding who is right and wrong. It is simply a matter of finding an emotional common ground. We will have to be willing to get it wrong, because we will get it wrong. Empathy is messy. There are no three easy steps to accurately understanding the people we love. We will have to be okay when our people tell us we're not getting it, and then we'll have to try again. We will have to embrace our discomfort because empathy will take us into some uncomfortable places within ourselves. And we will have to quit trying to fix things. There will be a time for that later. For now, empathy is about connecting within an experience, not making the experience go away. I wish I could tell you I always find my way to empathy with my family, but I can't. Some nights I do and some nights I don't, and you won't always find your way to empathy either. But that's okay. That's not the point. The point is that we begin to try. Because empathy isn't just for therapists, it's for all of us. So that is this week's reading. And um, I think the thing, uh, I wrote that years ago, I've read it a number of times, I'm reading it anew again today. And I think the thing that jumps out at me the most from that is just this idea that, that empathy is such an affront to our ego. You know, the ego's job is not to understand the other, it's to protect the self from the other, you know? And so sometimes those are very incompatible, maybe all the times those are pretty incompatible um, goals. So belonging will require stepping out from behind this protective ego and showing up with your true self and putting joining above protecting. Um, And the ego just doesn't want to do it. So again, in this process of belonging, we're learning how to step out of our ego and, uh, and show up with our true self in order to connect. I'd love to hear what you think about it. Alan writes, those five points are both the most moving and challenging I've ever heard. Wow. Need to process those for a while. Awesome. Um, Alan, I'm glad to hear you say that. Um, I deeply respect your your opinion. Um, When you're challenged, I think we're in in good territory. Um, And and so we are going to be digging into those actually in this week's exercise. Um, This week's exercise maps specifically onto paying attention to, digesting, and challenging those those five barriers within ourselves. So um, we're going to be getting into that more deeply here in just a a few minutes. Carrie Lynn writes, quote, when our egos lose, our hearts win, unquote. My new mantra when tempted to argue. Thank you. yeah, I, I gave a series of talks in February of this year um, yeah, about marriage specifically, and they were in, uh, the title was um, "Losing to Win," um, and uh, this idea that um, that to win, um, to 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 discover belonging in our relationships and in our marriages, our ego will feel a sense of loss, 
It will feel like it's not doing its job. It'll feel like it's not protecting us adequately. Um, but that, that is the moment where our hearts are given an opportunity to win. And to win is to connect, to belong, to join. So um, I'm glad it resonates, Carrie Lynn. And if any pithy phrase can help to sort of orient us in the chaos of relationships, I'm, I rejoice in that. <laughs> Heather, yeah, hmm. Heather writes, dang, leaky eyes, so appropriate right now. I'm trying, really trying to remain empathetic to my husband and the things he's going through. I struggle constantly. My encouragement to you is that it is those it is those sorts of valleys where you feel like you're just trudging through something difficult and not seeing any reward in it, that those are the valleys where true belonging is is built and born. You know, when things are going well and you're on vacation and you feel super connected, um, that's the fruit of belonging, um, but it's not the the work of it. And uh, um, the dedication that you're showing right now to figure out how you can show up and, and join him in what he's going through is um, that's the work. And, uh, and I trust it's going to bear fruit for you. Julie writes, a while back, I was asking about having connection and correctness at once, especially in situations where matters of fact are confused with matters of opinion. Curiosity might be the key to getting there, but there's no making anyone consider other points of view if they're not willing to go there. While it's a habit that can be built, some of us are wired more toward curiosity than others. It's a great point, Julie. Um, you know, some of us sort of have qualities that lend themselves to to belonging more than others. Um, but I, I think the reality is that belonging requires a set of, of qualities of relating um, that if they don't come easy to us, um, we can't we can't sort of replace them with something else. We need to cultivate them. And I appreciate your attention to curiosity today, because um, curious. I mean, if you had to talk about something that is essential to empathy, curiosity is right there, right? Curiosity about your experience and curiosity about the places in my own experience where I can relate to that from. Um, and so yeah, so if we're not if we don't naturally come by that, it's so important to cultivate that. Um, but the ego, the ego wants that to atrophy in you. The ego, ego wants to focus on judgment, um, thinking of myself as right and you wrong. And, uh, and, and when all of the energy is going into to building up that experience, um, no energy is getting invested in cultivating curiosity. So um, we have to call the ego out on that and, uh, and focus on, on being able to see the other more clearly through our, through our own curiosity. Kristen writes, I usually think of empathy as a gift to the other person, but I love the connection with belonging. Um, yeah, it's it's part of the good news, I think, Kristen, that a gift to another is always a gift to ourselves. <laughs> and uh, of course, if you're giving that gift to get a gift back, it's, you know, that's it, 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 it robs you both of the potential gift. But I think the reality is that when we invest our energy in empathy, um, the gift, the gift in the end is uh, a growing sense of belonging, which is a gift to everybody involved. So, um, but I appreciate the word gift. Um, it's a, it's a gift we have to work hard at, um, and, and that makes it even more of a gift. That's I think that's I think it's a great word to describe it. Stephanie writes, ah, the light bulb went off. Yes, within my family, I now see that when I talk about my own pain, it either rips the scab off their own wounds, which they don't want to feel, or the sense of not agreeing is also painful. It assumes one won't feel valid. Love the connection before correction. I think you're exactly right, Stephanie. You're in, in our families, we reveal our pain, um, 
But the likelihood, and this is why it's so complicated in a family, the likelihood is we're not just revealing our pain to an objective third party, we're revealing our pain to the people who probably played some role in contributing to that pain. So if they are not willing to enter into the, the messiness of that and the working through of that, then immediately the defense comes up, right? And says, oh, don't put this on me. And immediately the egos are out, the egos are protecting. The empathy you were seeking didn't you didn't receive so now you're feeling vulnerable and hurt again and you're wanting you're wanting protection again and so now the false selves start to trade trade what they do and uh and yeah um i think that's why that's why receiving empathy within a family can actually be more complicated than in many other places because um, we're trying to get empathy for the pain that that uh that others were involved in in a sense Marie writes, empathy requires so many choices and all of them conscious. How challenging and effortful to step out from behind my own ego. Marie, I think I really appreciate that. Um, the acknowledgement that it's requiring constant choice, constant consciousness, awareness, intention, effort. Um, I think that's one of the values of therapy is um, I know when I walk into a therapy room as a therapist, I know for the next 50 minutes. Um, I am going to be making conscious, intentional choices um, to provide the kind of empathy that cultivates belonging. Um, but when we're, <laughs> you know, when we're trying to get the kids out the door to soccer and stop on the grocery store on the way home so that the stuff in the crock pot doesn't burn, the space, the the energy to have that kind of intentionality can be really hard to come by. Um, and uh, and I go all the way back to the the first weeks of this year, cultivating space and rest. Um, margin for the kinds of intentionality that this requires. Thanks for thanks for pointing that out again. That we we need to be very careful. Um, I'm one of my one of my catchphrases these days, which I don't know where it's going to go um, in what piece of writing that I'm doing. But I want to develop it. Is that the enemy of kindness is not cruelty. The en enemy of kindness is hurry. Um, that hurry um, robs us of the time, space, energy, and margin we need. Um, to be intentional about kindness. So um, I think you're getting at it right there. Okay, so uh, Esther writes, ha ha ha, I'm going to fix you. I can relate to that. It's a good thing to keep in perspective for those of us who like to be helpful and fix things for a positive reason. That's right. That people are not broken objects to be fixed. Think less with the fixer brain and more with the heart and know when to use which. There it is again, that intentionality and awareness. And, you know, Esther, we talked at the Lovable Weekend about how our false self is made out of the best parts of our true self. So if we have a sincere heart of service and caring and a desire to heal and redeem things, these are all beautiful parts of our true self. But if the ego then takes those parts and starts to use them not for connection but for protection, now we're going about trying to fix people um, so that we're not surrounded by broken people, so our relationships aren't so messy, whatever the, the, the function of the protection is, and now we're hurting people with these very beautiful parts of our true self. Um, and so always thinking about these parts of me that are valuable and worthy, are they being used in the, in the service of connection or in the service of protection? And, and how do we allow them to be used in the service of connection? Now, now we're back to, as you said, being more wise about how we fix, when we fix, um, why we fix, those sorts of things. Thanks for that, Esther. Julie writes, Kelly, can you talk about empathy um, slash sympathy and understanding others' feelings while maintaining our own inner boundaries. That can be a tripping point for me. Holding a line that's good for me can make me seem cold. 
can't always accommodate others' needs. Sometimes struggle with shame or being shamed there too. It's a great question, Julie. Um, I'll tell you that uh, I wish I could draw out sort of a diagram for you, but I think of I think of all of this on a continuum, where um, if you think of if you think in the middle of your continuum, you have um, this dance in relationship of interdependence and independence, um, and interdependence always requires some level of empathy. Um, independence requires some level of healthy emotional boundaries. Well, when you go to the extreme of empathy, when you take empathy, our capacity for empathy, and start to use it not for connection but for protection, it becomes codependence. Codependence is essentially a gift for empathy used to try to control a relationship, manipulate the other, trying to get a certain kind of love from them by um, understanding how they work and influencing them to feel certain things so that you can feel better about yourself. And so empathy can quickly cross the line into codependence. Um, what we want to do is pair empathy with healthy emotional boundaries. Um, and by the way, the, the, the extreme of independence is, is, independence is healthy. Um, the extreme of independence is anti-dependence, a sense of not needing anybody or anything. Um, it's a highly protective state to be in. Um, and not healthy for anybody either. So we want we want empathy to exist within this dance of interdependence and independence, healthy boundaries and healthy connection. Um, and I don't have a formula for that. Um, but what I can tell you is that there's a place for both. Um, you know, therapists who um, all, spend all day empathizing, if they don't have healthy emotional boundaries, they burn out very quickly. Um, I need to be able to be in a space of empathy and then set a boundary around that space and let that empathy reside in that space until the next meeting. I can't take it on with me throughout my week. I wouldn't be able to function. Um, and so, yes, you're, you're getting at this dance between healthy boundaries and healthy empathy. Um, and it's messy. Um, it's messy, when, especially when you have two people dancing that dance and trying to figure it out together. Deb F. writes, former fixer here. Since working on bringing down the walls, I've actually found it easier to empathize and say, oh, I hear you, instead of, hey, here's what you can do for that. It's a relief to not be so responsible for others. Yeah, a friend of mine recommended a book by Kelly Corrigan entitled Tell Me More. And I, the, wisdom, the wisdom of that phrase, you know, tell me more about that, or oh, I hear you. Um, I don't have to jump right into fixing the dilemma, problem, pain that you're presenting to me. I just get to be here with it. Um, and I, I refer to it all the time. It goes back to Henry Nouwen's care versus cure, right? Care is abiding um, in the midst of pain. Cure is fixing pain. And there's a time and place for both, but probably we don't give enough time to care. Julie writes, Deb, recovering here too. I stop myself sometimes and say, wait, I'm trying to fix. Sorry. Insert more conversation opening comment here. Um, yep. Yep. It's just holding a space. It's holding a space where pain doesn't need to be erased right away. You know, and uh, I go back to, you know, Stephanie, what you said, that in, in a way that the defensiveness that comes up within a family system when one's pain is presented is just a desire to erase it. We don't, we, we, this, this space can't hold your pain. Um, and I think that's one of the powerful things about therapy, too, is it's a space that you come to trust can hold your pain. Um, doesn't need to fix it right away. Um, and then we all get to be wiser about what to do with the pain. So, um, so yeah, just creating that space. Tell me more. I hear you. Let the pain exist. Don't try to erase it right away.
Heather writes, yep, total fixer as well here. I struggle not to be that in my personal life because in my professional life, that's what I do. It's difficult to turn off. Um, one of the more common phenomena, Heather, is when you, you discover that people who try to translate what works in business life, um, and I think you're sort of hitting upon it, this idea that being the fixer, which is valued in the workplace, when they try to translate that mentality to home, it's a disaster because what people that want at home usually isn't fixing. Um, it's, it's presence, it's attentiveness, it's empathy. Um, and so it doesn't, it doesn't translate very well. So you're not alone in that. Um, I have to constantly keep that in check for myself. Um, I, I know so many people who have to do that as well. So again, the space to be intentional and aware of that. Brenda writes, I catch myself praying, God, I'm getting tired of always going first for this person. He usually says, if I'm ahead of you, I'm going first in this. Just follow me, be second. Well, that is beautiful, Brenda. That is the voice of grace showing up. Um, and I think what we have to realize, we have to realize is um, our lives have to be balanced. Um, that we, we can't be the one going first or second um, with everybody. Um, that we need, if, if, it's, if, I'm, I'm, if I'm always the one going first or second with this person, then I need somebody in my life who goes first or second for me, <laughs> you know, um, that otherwise we get tapped out. Um, and, uh, and so we need, to be, we need to be thoughtful about who we are including um, in our circles of belonging in any given moment to make sure that the empathy on the whole is balanced and reciprocal, if that makes sense. Not necessarily even in one relationship, but on the whole. Carrie Lynn writes, yes, Stephanie, I fight against shame rising when my adult children talk about their struggles. Maybe they don't know their struggle is related to a lack of parenting skill on my part, but I do. <laughs> they will eventually realize it, my guess is, um, especially if you are that open to acknowledging that it's true. I have to focus on empathy and encouragement versus shame or guilt. They aren't trying to make me feel bad. They are sharing their story of triumph over tragedy. It's getting easier the more open I am, the healthier I become. I am committed to becoming a grace-filled human being. Um, once again, Carrie Lynn, I hope that that's something that people can take in. You know, that um, it's a natural reaction when the people we love come to us, whether it's children, you know, or a spouse, and say, this dinged me, this hurt. Um, and the courage to be able to say, yeah, yeah, I was, I, I was all ego, or I was accidentally passing on my shame to you, or I was just broken and making some mistakes. The courage to do that, um, guess who feels like they belong to you all of a sudden? Your kids, right? That, that, that in family, in parent-child relationships, belonging is not about parenting perfectly. It's about the, the courage, the bravery to say, I didn't, and it hurt you, and I get it, and you have every right to that pain. Um, and all of a sudden, um, all of a sudden healing starts to happen really quickly and, uh, and kids feel like they can belong to parents and family members to each other. Um, beautiful Carrie Lynn. Thank you for, for sharing that. Anne writes, um, looks like it's a quote by Peter Block. It's a misuse of power to take responsibility for solving problems that belong to others. I love that. I love that. And that's an example of where that, where empathy crosses the line into codependency, right? Uh, I'm going to use my powers of empathy, my skills, my natural intuition in order to solve your problems for you. And probably there's something in that for me. Um, I'm trying to shortcut, uh, get, a, get a shortcut to a sense of peace in this relationship. Um, I think if I solve your problems, you'll love me more, whatever. 
um, we want to be careful of abusing that that skill we have with empathy to uh, to do that. Stephanie writes, I find that when I check my own emotion to take on the pain of others and not feel like I caused it or could do something to fix, I just say, what's your sense of that? It gives me more time to settle my emotions and lets them tell me more. I love that. Yeah. It reminds me back in, uh, back in the day, Stephanie, when we were defending dissertations and master's theses, um, there, there, you're always supposed to go in with a, a little bit of a, a question that bought you more time, you know? Um, wow, that's a really interesting question. Could you say more about that? Um, and gives you a chance to sort of begin to digest what's going on, um, survey yourself, decide how you want to respond. Um, we don't have to respond right away. That's not doing anybody a favor to be rushing into our reactions. Okay, so that uh, those those five ideas, those five barriers to this this empathy idea. Um, let's let's dig deeper into those in this week's practice. Um, and uh, and so here it is, week twenty seven practice. Empathy is the spontaneous response of our soul to the full range of human experience. I should read that again. Empathy is the spontaneous response of our soul to the full range of human experience. So when we have difficulty empathizing, it is because something, usually our defensiveness, our defensive judging critical mind, in other words, our ego, is interfering with the natural response of our truest self. As you go through your week this week, you will have many opportunities to empathize with people around you. Stories in the daily news, the postings of people on Facebook, and interactions with strangers, coworkers, friends, and family. Inevitably, you will discover that something interferes with your ability to empathize. That's the good news. You're human. You're... <laughs> Your difficulty with this makes you completely uh, normal. So, so this week, number one, monitor yourself. Just watch for those moments. Number two, in a notebook or on your phone, record which of the five barriers to empathy are interfering with your empathy. Number one, I don't want to go first. Number two, I don't agree with you. Number three, I don't want to get it wrong. Number four, I don't want to feel that. And or number five, it's not my job to fix you. If necessary, identify additional barriers I didn't list. You might discover new ways to frame what's holding back your empathy. But you can use those five phrases to sort of identify what's holding you back as well. Number three, as you begin to get a sense of your biggest barriers, begin to list the values, beliefs, or opinions that are the foundation of that barrier. I'm going to give you some examples here. Some of the, the values and beliefs that underpin some of these barriers include don't ever let anyone take advantage of you. What's right is right and what's wrong is wrong. If you don't do it right, then don't do it at all. Pain should be avoided at all costs. What's the point of talking about something if you can't fix it? <laughs> um, those are just some of the, the sort of values and beliefs that underpin these barriers. Now consider exchanging that value for the higher value of connection and belonging. Number four, enter into at least one interaction with one of your people with the goal of overcoming that barrier and providing empathy. Choosing who we will invest our time, energy, and vulnerability into is a big decision. Finding and cultivating graceful places of belonging is some of the most important and complicated work of life, but you can simplify it just a little. Empathy is the building block of all true belonging. This week, begin to ensure your belonging is built on this solid foundation. So again, a quick recap. You notice moments where you're having trouble with empathy, and this can be while you're scrolling through Facebook or while you're talking to a spouse. It's somewhere, whether it's on a notebook in a notebook or on your phone, make a note of which of these five barriers or something else that comes to mind is interfering with your ability in that moment to be empathic. 
Three, identify the, the thoughts, values, beliefs that underpin that barrier. Some assumptions about the way things should work, the way people should work, the way relationships should work. And then consider exchanging that value for the higher value of connection and belonging. And then choose one person to practice with. That's it in the summary. Love to hear your thoughts, uh, continued thoughts about the reading and about this practice. Julie writes, I'm thinking about ways to restate the barriers as bridges. And I like the time to examine oneself before trying to turn it around. Um, boy, Julie, I will, you can bet I'll be checking in with you on that little thought experiment. Um, how to, how to reframe the barriers as bridges. I think I'll spend a little bit of time with that too, because that's a powerful idea. Love it. Um, cause they don't need to be barriers. Um, when the true self shows up to transform those barriers to say, Hey, Hey ego, I got it from here. Um, you don't need to worry about that. I'm, I'm going to connect in the midst of that. We will transform those into bridges. I love it. Stephanie writes, uh, Oh Kelly, this week's practice is gold. Thank you. Values and beliefs. Yes, that resonates. I was taught to hold my head high. Don't let them see you cry. Take care of yourself. You got it, Stephanie. Never depend on anyone. This kept me very guarded and always wanting to fix everything in myself and in others. It also caused me to be judgmental when others could openly express their broken emotions. There you go. Yep. Um, those beliefs get instilled. They get instilled from family narratives. They get instilled from culture. Um, and, and you just identified a bunch of them. So thank you for that because I think, um, I think there's a tendency when I list a number of things in the exercise for people, listeners, to sort of restrict themselves to those things, but you just gave us a great example of take that and run with it. Um, let yourself be aware of some of the, the values and beliefs that sort of got ingrained in you that, that lead to barriers and empathy. It's beautiful. In fact, Stephanie, that comment is, um, is it expands the conversation so much. I want to just camp out there for a few minutes, and I'm going to go back and read those again. Just some of the ideas that you were taught. Hold my head high. Don't let them see you cry. Take care of yourself. Never depend on anyone. You know, each of those, um, each of those teachings, each of those values or beliefs that got installed, were about independence, right? Um, and again, when you think about that continuum from codependence to interdependence to independence to antidependence, they're the kind of values that encourage antidependence. You don't need anybody. Um, this belonging thing, forget about it right? Not necessary. Handle things yourself. How confusing for a human being who's wired for belonging to be taught that belonging isn't something that should be valued or focused on. Um, and so I just, again, once again, I admire your courage in uh, being willing to look at the hard things, the hard things that you were taught, sort through them, decide what you want to toss out um, and what new beliefs you want to, to, to add to it. But again, consider exchanging those beliefs or values for the higher value of connection and belonging. Anne writes, taking Lovable to the Beach to reread next week. Thank you, Anne, to, for letting me know that. That is, um, that's awesome to hear. My favorite book of all time is Tattoos on the Heart by Gregory Boyle. I've said that before, and I literally remember reading that on the on a beach. Um, one of my fondest memories. Um, so, so glad to be a part of your beach trip. <laughs> okay, so let's uh, let's wrap up the discussion here for this week. Um, with that exercise and that challenge um, to begin questioning our values and beliefs, those that underpin our, our, uh, our tendency to, to protect rather than to empathize and to join. Let's just stop there and uh, create the space this week to, to focus on that. Um, thanks again, everybody. So next week, our discussion, it'll be week 28 of the year of listening, loving, and living. And uh, it's called Learning How to Take a Compliment. 
um, where we're going to focus on how in places of true belonging, you don't just learn how to give good things like empathy. You also learn how to receive good things like compliments and affirmation, which is uncomfortable for most of us, um, but so essential to learn how to take that in. So until then, remember, you are lovable and you are love at your center. All you have to do is remove the barriers to doing so. Thanks again for joining us on the Lovable Podcast. Remember, this companion book can stand on its own, but it stands a little taller and a little stronger on the shoulders of Lovable. So if you have not picked up a copy of Lovable yet, it is available wherever books are sold, and you can get it in paperback, digital, or audio format. If you'd like to simply download a sample of Lovable, you can go to my website, drkellyflanagan.com. That's drkellyflanagan.com. In the right sidebar, sign up to receive my blog post by email, and you will immediately receive a free sample of Lovable and a free copy of my ebook, The Marriage Manifesto. The music for the Lovable podcast is courtesy of Ellie Holcomb and is entitled Wonderfully Made from her album Red Sea Road. Until next week, friends, remember, you are lovable. Yeah.